Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Doctors of Running Virtual Roundtable, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science to the stuff that we're putting on our feet. I feel like that phrase now comes off my tongue way too easily. I should switch it up. Maybe not. Maybe it's a rhythm. A rhythm at this point. Well, I, I'm really excited about tonight. We have a special episode and Megan's first time on the podcast. So Megan Flynn is one of our contributors. We're going to meet her a little bit later, but she's with us at the round table. And then you're also still stuck with Matt and myself. So um, we're really excited to have Megan with us. And we have a fun episode planned for today. This is episode number 80 of the podcast. Like I said, we're going to be meeting Megan. We're going to do our subjective, of course. And then we have a mailbag episode and we're going to hit a lot of questions from you guys. We feel bad, like as we've grown We've noticed that we continue to get more and more emails and inboxes with lots of questions that are amazing questions, and we wish we had the time to individually respond to everybody. Unfortunately, with our full-time jobs and trying to continue to pull all this stuff off, it just isn't the case. So every once in a while, we like to do these mailbag episodes where we dig into some questions that we think cover not only the question that's asked, but also others that we've gotten in inbox messages. So that's what we're, we have planned for today. So we're going to hit a lot of different topics and it should be a lot of fun. But before we do that, we want to give a shout out to somebody, a, a follower uh, reached out to us. They're an owner of a coffee shop, um, Anodyne Coffee. It's actually in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and our local co-op in Stevens Point, Wisconsin uses their bags to fill like all the different coffees that they have at the co-op. So I've seen their their coffee before, but they reached out to us and they're like, hey, we just love what you guys do. And they sent a couple of us some coffee. So Matt and Matt has some. I don't drink coffee, but my wife, Jana, was like, why didn't you get me coffee? Um, so I made that mistake, but we want to give them a shout out. Um, and Matt, yeah, talk, talk about the, the blend that they gave us. You're the coffee connoisseur. So Matt from Anodyne, who was nice enough to send some of the stuff to us, um, was nice enough to send coffee from Haile Geber Selassie's personal estate. And I got to say, this stuff tastes great, especially it tastes better as espresso, which is very common in Kenya, especially Ethiopian drink espresso from what I understand. Somebody correct us if I'm wrong. But it is really good. And I'm expecting because it's from Haile Geber Selassie's. Uh, I'm going to be running a 204 marathon here very shortly, so I'm just kidding. But yeah, no, it's from Haile Gabriel Slossi's personal estate, which he's one of the greatest distance runners of all time. So it's and it's quite good. Uh, also sent me this amazing like coffee bag, this huge thing too that's just awesome. So please check them out. It's been it's really good too. Yeah, they have on Instagram. It's Anodyne Coffee, A N O D Y N E Coffee, all one word. Um, or you can just look them up on the internet. They do ship. Um, coffee places. So if you want to support them, um, you, you're welcome to do so. This They aren't like sponsoring this episode. They, he just wanted to send us coffee and we wanted to give him a thank you for the for the coffee. So um, it was super nice of him to to reach out and, and send some coffee to the team. Uh, and 
apparently it's good. I don't, I wouldn't know one way or the other, but it, it's very good. Immediately when I got it, I had to send all the, everybody, um, Nathan and David hadn't seen this episode with Haile Gerber Selassie, where he's just demoing some new, like, hi, like Adidas clothing, but this is from like 15 something years ago. And he's running on this treadmill just and casually runs a four minute mile. He's just like, I'm just going to put it there and just do this. And all of a sudden he's like, does it? And it's like, hey, it's just no big deal. And it's like, it, maybe if I drink this coffee, I can do that. Probably not. That was a great video. Awesome. So thanks again, Anodyne Coffee. But we want to get to know Megan a little bit before we do our subjective. Um, so Megan, welcome to your first round table. You were, when did you join our team? How long ago has it been now? Um, let's see. I think I joined back in June of last year, June of 2021. Right. So like a little over half a year now. You're coming up on a, on a year, which is pretty cool. T- talk a little bit about your history, like how your educational background, how you became part of the team here, what kind of practice you do as a physical therapist, and then some running history, obviously, as well. Let's see. So I went to um, on the College of New Jersey for undergraduate, where I studied biology, health and exercise science. Um, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to do something in the medical field. And then all of a sudden I started hearing a lot about physical therapy through my own running. I had a lot of physical therapy experience. I was like, oh, this sounds like it's right up my alley. Let me give that a try. So um, I applied to University of Delaware, which is where I ended up going to PT school and graduated in 2016. Um, Great class. Maybe one of the best best class of Best class Delaware's ever had, for sure. Um, let's see. So from there, I went um, I went to work in a neurological field where I stayed there for about three years. Um, and then I transitioned to work with runners. Um, and while I was there, I started learning more about footwear, shoewear, everything. Um, and I had remembered a conversation that I had with, <clears throat> with Nate um, talking about doctors of running and it started coming up more in conversation with my patients. So I reached out to Nate and long story short, we ended up having a chat and here we are. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. So I think what, what Megan brings that I value is her experience in the neurological, um, world because runners, are runners and they all have their different um, conditions that they deal with on the side of just being a runner. Like we're not all just like no comorbidities and we're all just running because that's what we do. Cause we're all perfectly healthy. And I think Megan has a, I don't know anyone who has gone through, this is how I felt going through school. Megan and I were in the same class at Delaware. That's why I said we were the best class. But uh, I think when I was going through school, I remember thinking the people who go into neuro are the actually smart ones. The ones who go into ortho just like we can kind of like put equations together. Whereas the people who are passionate about neuro and can actually figure it out are really smart (laughs) and critical thinkers. So I'd give you a lot of credit. What kind of, uh, and you're, what kind of setting are you in now? Oh, Uh, so I actually, I just switched jobs. I transitioned from runners back to a, a combination of neurological and orthopedic. So I'm in, um, I'm in a hospital base now where I'm seeing half the day is going to be outpatient orthopedics and neurological, and then the other half will eventually be on inpatient floors of the hospital. So it's a complete 180 from what I was doing about a month ago, but it's awesome. I just started last week, so I'm still getting used to it. Yeah, your, your place before this was like, hey, we're wearing shorts and a t-shirt 
and working, right? Like it was super casual, like very much running based. I would wear running clothes every day, all day. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> I, I never had to like really get dressed up for work. It would be like if you wore anything more than your normal running clothes, it would it would be strange. <laughs> That's hilarious. And then tell us about your running history. You've been running a long time. Um, just tell us a couple stories or what what you're passionate about with running. Let's see. I've been yeah, I've been running now probably. 16 or 17 years or something. Um, yeah, so I ran all through high school, college. I did one year at um, University of Delaware during PT school. And then now I'm still running competitively with um, the Garden State Track Club uh, in New Jersey. They're all over the place. If you see any like black, yellow singlets, which most people probably have at some point. <clears throat> um, let's see. Right now I'm focusing more on... I'm kind of all over the place. (laughs) Um, (laughs) My ultimate goal is the marathon, but I'm taking a step back down to some speed work. So trying to do like a faster mile, a faster 5K, which I find that stuff to be fun and just like Hmm. open up and just like see what you can do. And my I think one of my favorite things about those kinds of races, like I remember the first mile race that I did um, last year, which was the the first time I raced a mile since college in like, I don't know, probably eight or, or so years. I was standing on the line. I was like, you know what? No matter how this goes, it's going to be over in a few minutes. It's not like a marathon <laughs> when you get on the line. And if you're having a bad day, you're out there for hours. Like That's so true. I'm running four laps around this track and it's it's going to be over in like five, six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> did that help? Like in that race, did that help? Yeah, it actually did. Like yeah. <laughs> it calmed my nerves at the start. And mm. then... I mean, the first lap, I feel like you don't usually think anyway. And mm. getting halfway, I was like, okay, I only, like, I'm already halfway through. Next time I'm here, I'm only going to have to, I'll, I'll hear the bell and then it's over. Wow. I don't think I'd ever want to run a mile race. It was definitely scary. What did you run that that race in? Um, that first race, I did a 503. Wow. But, um, and I was able to get it down that season to, or last year to 456, which was my first time under five, which I was pretty fun. That's awesome. That's cruising. And you're, you just came off a big marathon block too. You did CIM. Um, tell us a little bit about your CIM experience. And then you said your ultimate goal is the marathon. Does that mean it's years away or does that mean it's just like later next year? Or when's the next marathon? Um, the next marathon, I'm going to do one in the fall. I'm between doing either okay. um, the Philadelphia marathon or um, CIM again. Um, CIM's course. I don't know if, if either of you guys have done it. It's, it's an awesome race. You you did do it, Matt. I, I the first year I actually paced the women's elite field, so I got I prefer doing that actually to racing. It's it's way more fun pacing. Humble humble brag right there. Oh yeah, I just paced the women's elite field. It's all cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically my job right now. I'm married to my wife. Your That's job. what I do all the time. Yeah, it's my. That's job. true. You pace her all yeah. the time. That's yep. true. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the course is great. I mean, it's, oh. it's very forgiving. It's, it's, it is rolling hills. Like I remember a lot of people warned me about that. Like, don't go into it. And Matt's making a face. <laughs> I don't know if it's forgiving. It's a great course. But if you, it's, if you bomb, you're in trouble just because of that roll. I was warned by so many people, like expect, expect the worst in terms of hills. Don't be dumb at the yep. start. And then when you get to what they call it, the breakthrough zone, which I think mile 18, you just fly or hopefully you just fly <laughs> and ended up going really well. I had almost like 
perfectly even splits through the half. It was a seven minute or so PR. Um, wow. Which is why I kind of want to go back there. I have this like great view of the course. Yeah. I'm like, I want to, I want to see it again. Okay. And what's your, what's your ultimate kind of like, what are you reaching for? What are you hoping for with the marathon? So the ultimate goal is to qualify for the Olympic trials. Um, mm-hmm. They just lowered the women. Well, they lowered both standards. Um, before it was a 245 and now it's a 237. So that's okay. the, that's the ultimate goal. 237. We'll see. I have yeah. a little under two years now to get it. So, well, we have no doubt you'll get there and you've, I think what's another thing that people don't know about you, you, you were on another podcast recently that I just listened to. So I got to hear a lot of your story. What, what was the name of that podcast? Cause we can refer people there too. Ron runs NYC. Yeah. He interviewed you and you gave your whole background of like some of your injury stuff too. We talked about this before the, before the, uh, we, we started recording seven stress fractures that you've been through. So you've just, you're, you're not immune. I, I thought becoming a PT would make me immune to injury. And it just doesn't. Yeah, you think that's how it should work. But. It should work that way. Awesome. Well, again, Megan, thank you for joining us. And we've been super privileged to have her on our team and uh, having her voice as a part of how we create content and ideas and analysis of footwear and stuff. So thanks again for joining us on the podcast today. And hopefully we get you again and again and again. That'd be awesome. Please. we are going to transition to our subjective so last week we asked you all kind of which guests you'd like to have on the show and we got a lot of a a lot of responses uh some of them that i really hope we can make happen are molly seidel and camille heron that's eric uh eric latassi he's the guy who recommended those um there's a coach that he wanted jason coop uh there was recommendations for another guy who let me see if I can find him. I'm scrolling through right now as we go. Uh, but there we go. Julian Spence uh, from the Inside Running Podcast. He's a, a local running store owner and running retail. And so he's got some insight. And we have some episodes planned surrounding run retail. So we might see if he can come on for that one because that would be cool to have that kind of feedback there. So a lot of good options. Danny Orr, people want him on from New Balance which we are working on that one. We have been in progress of that. So Danny, if you're listening, which he might be, uh, we, we really do want to get you on. So I just need to send that email. We'd love That's to have a to-do list for like a week. <laughs> My bad. So this week we're moving on to a new subjective and that is what motivates you to keep running. Um, and so Matt, what would you say when it comes to like, what is your motivation to keep moving in a forward plane? Why, why do you do that? That's a, that's a great question. I think for me that, yeah, I'm, to be honest, I think it's just such a part of me now that I just can't go without of it, out of it. It's just, that's just what I do. People have their morning coffee. I have to have my morning run. I think that's regardless of whether I'm moving forward or not, life is pretty crazy right now. And I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily moving forward in terms of training. I'm just sustaining, which apparently for me still means 70, 80 miles a week. It's, just become such a habit and a lifestyle for me that that's what keeps me going. And I can't imagine not being able to do it. Yeah. You need your morning run and your morning coffee, morning run, morning coffee, and your afternoon coffee, afternoon run run and afternoon coffee. Yeah. And afternoon coffee. That'd be great. (laughs) What about you, Megan? Um, So I, I totally agree with what Matt said on the days that, 
um, that I don't run like in an off day or if you're just taking like a week off, it feels like something's missing. And I, I don't even know how to like structure my day without it. Like, I don't know when to eat, when to shower, like all that. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very strange. It like becomes a part of your everyday. Like, it's strange when it's gone. But I think additionally for me, it's more, it's, um, I think it's a great way to see how far you can push yourself. Like every, like, like those few workouts that you have that are just like so much better than you expect them to be. And you learn that you can push yourself like a little bit past what you thought you could. I think that's pretty cool. And you can apply that to like, not just running, but like even like throughout like other things during the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so, it's so interesting. Y'all, you two have been running so much longer than me and in such a higher, higher level than, than I have. So do do you ever wonder like that part of, I mean, I guess this is a question for you, Megan. So in those times when you've had the injuries where you can't run, like what did, what did that do to you? Were you able to, how did you walk through those then? If it's such a ingrained part of you guys, like how do you walk through those periods when something takes away your ability to do it? It's so hard. I mean, it's, it's no joke what they say, like, yes, you have a physical injury, but it also, it's, it's tough on like mentally because you have to restructure everything, you know, hmm. we're all very active people. Like, trying to find another like outlet to get your energy out. Like for me, I always go to the stationary bike, but now I like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've learned to like hate the stationary bike. Cause it reminds <laughs> me of injury. Like I have this like negative connotation to it. I'm like, anytime totally. I see a stationary bike or I just no. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's really tough. Like trying to still set aside time and be like, okay, what do people do that? Like that don't run. What do they do in this time that I'm usually spending out running around wherever? which it's hard. I don't know. <laughs> right. What about you, Matt? Yeah, it's happened a couple of times. The worst one was like, you know, you, we use running as this like emotional outlet, right? It helps us get through the day or deal with having gone through a day. One of the worst experiences I had was right at the beginning of my fellowship. I'm driving super far. It's super, it's such a, like a, a level up that I was like, you're never ready for that. And so I tore my glute medius and could not run. It didn't get diagnosed till later. And so was I usually can run through things. I mean, Nathan will tell you, you know, I'll just casually be like, yeah, I injured my Achilles again, but I'm still running 80 miles. Like I can, the, being a PT has allowed me to patch myself up enough just to keep going, even though I'm still limping, which please, I, I'm such a bad patient. So don't listen to me on that. But as I say, not as I do. I had one of yeah, those instances today. I, just, I shouldn't have said that. Um, Yeah. But it just became, it's like such a dark, place like i remember because for me i don't like the bike so it was always my go-to based from college is the pool and so i have such a negative connotation with being in the pool because i'm just going back and forth and back and forth like just i'll go through like 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 it's like a glass case of emotion watching will ferrell like just scream in there it's literally me for an hour in the pool once or twice a day so it's tough it's a it's emotional trauma like emotionally traumatizing but ironically Going through that, those experiences have made me stronger, especially mentally, about going, I need to accept that there are things that change, that you cannot always control these things, and you have to figure out in what way can I still make myself better, and I think a lot of the mental toughness that comes from being exercising in a stationary place, which a lot of us like, stationary bike, pool running, it does make you tougher, but it's just an emotionally challenging situation, because it's an outlet. Um, I definitely did not, I remember 
<laughs> this is going to sound really bad. We were going through like depression questionnaires on like early in fellowship, and I definitely was like failing all of them. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so mm-hmm. it's hard. You know, there's a there's a chemical component to this too. So trying to replace that is hard, but remembering that you are going to get through it, and it will come back. I just got to keep keep moving toward that light. Much easier to say than do. And I, and I say this in a, in hopefully what comes across is the best way possible. Like there are the times where things happen where you can't run again. Like that does happen. Right. And I it think does. that's, that could happen to any of us tomorrow. You know, we could walk out on the street and get hit by a bus or a car that takes us out in a way that we can't come back from in terms of running, like so either, or something else, some kind of stroke or something, you know, we never, we don't have control over those things. And I think hearing you guys talk, and this is not what Doctors of Running is all about, but thinking about how, what is, what is running in our lives? Is it in a healthy compartment of our lives? Is it becoming something that's taking us over where if we with, were without it, would we completely lose ourselves? Or is it something where, yes, there's like the, you can be in a healthy place with running and being out of running for a while and it suck. I'm experiencing that right now. Um, but I think it's, I think it's something to wrestle with, right? Just what's, you know, how much of it does it make up of us? And is that a healthy spot? That's not what Dr. Sopran is about, but I think it's interesting. I'm going to go cry. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Matt. Uh, I, I guess if I had to answer that question, I, I think there is so much of the like outlet, you know, it's become like you guys have said for me, it's become this thing where it's not like I have to motivate myself to go run. It's when do I get to go run? Because it's such a gift to be able to go do it. And it's an outlet mentally and physically. You can get the energy out. You can process. I run a ton with people. Uh, so that's a whole other part of what motivates me to run is the run group that I run with on Tuesday mornings for my work. Uh, made a lot of friends there. I meet with other friends later in the week. So I, it's just this huge part of connection for me with other people. So having those people motivates me to keep going. And I love competition. So if I can compete and find something that I can get better at, even if it, that's what running is so great because you're not necessarily, I don't need to compete against Megan because I'll never beat Megan in a race, but I can compete against like my previous self or set a new goal and you can just work towards something. And there's something about competition uh, and striving towards something that's super fun so what motivates you guys to keep running so if you're on youtube you can uh just comment below if you are listening on podcast you can either send us an email at doctors of running podcast at gmail.com or you can go on spotify and we put the subjective question up on spotify and you can answer through the app there All right, so we are going to jump into our mailbag section and get ready. There's a lot of different topics coming our way, but it should be really interesting. The first one is from Jason Hatt. Uh, He says, I've been watching some of your reviews and wondered if you had any advice on what shoes might be good if you suffer from Morton's Neuroma. So, Matt, why don't you start us off and just giving us an idea of what is Morton's Neuroma. Let's talk a little bit of anatomy, and then we'll talk about shoes and because we have to because uh, we're PTs, what else should we be thinking about instead of just shoes? Right, because you got to be able the shoes is a nice thing to think about, but it's not the only tool, right? This is a multifaceted thing. So yes, right. Megan, I do have a foot model that I bring out all the time. Yeah, <laughs> surprise. Uh, this I don't have any other ones yet, but I keep looking at that on Amazon. I'm like, I should order that. My wife's like, stop ordering things on Amazon. Um, 
So a neuroma is a growth of nerves, right? So it's, it can come from a variety of different reasons. Um, it can come from just normal tissue, excessive growth there. It can come from excessive pressure, and then the tissue grows out in response to the stress, which you see nerves can do as well. It, and Morton's neuroma is typically between the second or third digit. So there are nerves that move through this area, which is, again, why we always advocate make sure you have enough room in the shoe because if it's too tight, it's going to compress that stuff. You don't want to be swimming, but there is tissue there between nerves, veins, and arteries and stuff that, that need space. The nerves are especially important. I'll tell patients this, that nerves need three things. They need blood, movement, and space to be healthy. If you take one of those things away, there's going to be either adaptive changes or they're going to start talking to you, um, oftentimes not in pleasant ways. Although sometimes they start, they talk and people don't listen. So um, when people ask about Morton's neuroma, yes, one of the things that I, I normally think about is asking, are you wearing a shoe that has adequate width, especially up in the forefoot? So these typically happen more up front they don't usually happen here because the, the nerves are much more intrinsic. They're not in places that are entrapped in this way. Um, one of the first suggestions in terms of footwear, and like Nathan mentioned, there are a lot of other considerations you can make, right? In terms of things that we'll talk about, lifestyle factors, you know, movement, strength, any additional stress you're putting through there. A really nice thing to do here is having a little bit wider toe box, right? So getting pressure off these bones called the metatarsals and being able to... And the, having the space to open that up is is a really good start making sure you don't have shoes that are excessively tapered and putting this here for a little bit you might have to be a little bit sensitive to that and let stuff open up here is probably the biggest thing that i suggest off the bat in terms of footwear it depends also when people are getting symptoms so if somebody has it like as they load it as they go and push and they they load that front of the foot and go forward a rock, a rockered shoe might be helpful. Some toe spring that doesn't elevate the foot could be helpful if it's hitting you in the right spot. And you got to be careful with that because toe spring has to match you perfectly. If it doesn't, it's going to increase for its stress to this area. So it's really got to match up. So sometimes toe spring that keeps your toes neutral, not here. Um, but I'd say the toe box, honestly, is probably the biggest priority in terms of making sure people have enough room up front. So you're not so you have the ability to get maybe some of that stress yeah. off there. Megan, Nathan, Matt, what do you two think? You're one of my you're one of my favorite people. I asked, tell me about the anatomy of Morton's neuroma. And we got the we got that and we got what what should we think about with footwear? <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> I thought you asked me that. Sorry. No, it's good. No, it's hilarious. Uh Megan, I didn't want to. And ask for my you second any- dissertation. I'm just <laughs> right. Megan, when you think about, so Matt kind of talked about the growth of the nerve kind of in that certain area. When you think about how people, like when people start to have that kind of symptoms of Morton's neuroma, what do do people usually complain about or what other thoughts do you have about kind of nerve health or anything like that? So a lot of times, any patients that I've seen that have, um, that had dealt with uh, Morton's neuroma, they feel like there's almost like a, a pebble or like something between, between the metatarsals or they get like a sharp a sharp pain just randomly while like while they're running or even walking around. Um, a big thing that I always ask is what people are wearing throughout the day when they're not running too. So mm-hmm. what shoes do they have to wear for work? Like I know if, if you have to wear like heels or dress shoes or anything that ends up compressing the metatarsals more for however many, I, I don't know, nine hours a day, however many hours you work. And then mm-hmm. 
I mean, if you're thinking about it, I wish I had your uh, your foot model. Just right tell now, me what but, you want me to do with it. Um, if you if you're squeezing <laughs> those metatarsals together all day, right? it's going to compress on those nerves even more and all the structures between the metatarsals. So what I like to tell people is whenever you're at home or whenever you're just walking around, just either walk around barefoot or get uh, toe spacers. So think of the toe spacers as you're essentially counteracting everything that's compressing your feet throughout the day and returning your feet back to their natural anatomy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's awesome. I think what's what's interesting too. You talk about the pebble, the pebble. Um, that's something I definitely uh, have noticed people complaining about too. And I really loved your concept of it's not just ru- like yes, we're all we might be a runner, but we live for way longer than we run. Like we're on our feet a lot more than just that. So that's a huge consideration. Are there any other risk factors for this to develop that you guys can think of? Um, certain motion restrictions, things that could potentially be putting more stress on the forefoot. Uh, anything else you can think of? Oh, I know what I wanted to say too. And I will forget it. So I'm going to say it right now. Before I had like an actual anatomy class, and maybe I'll ask you guys this too. Do you guys remember back? What did you think of a, what was a nerve in your head before you like saw one in cadaver lab or something like that? Do you remember? You're you're talking to the person who was reading Netters when he was like five. So that's probably, oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm that person. See, I'm just not very smart. So this is what I thought. I thought nerves, all I had. Oh yeah. So like all I had was like this, like electric. So electricity was in my head. So I just thought nerves somehow like shot sparks, like through our body, just like zing. And it just like went to your toe or something. And I, I, and I also thought like, I liken this to, I learned this last summer and people might think I'm an idiot, which they'd be right about the internet. I thought the internet was kind of just this like thing that existed in space but both the internet and nerves are tubes that run through our entire body or for the internet run throughout the entire world. So like every single land space is connected by wires to have the internet work, which blows my mind. And if you cut that under the ocean, like you could cut off areas of internet that blew my mind. Now to be fair, you said it's like bolts of electricity, which is not wrong. Yeah, right? but I thought like it traveled through space, not through oh, okay. wire. Well, so well yeah, it's, it's wiring, yeah. It's not wrong. Okay. It's at to least 50%. This, <laughs> to bring this back, point is, nerves are these tubes that run through our body. So they, like, exit out from the spine, and then they run. If If you've been to the body exhibit, it's fascinating and beautiful. And if you just had, if you could just see the nerves of somebody you would still see the shape of a human body because they cover so much space and they touch all of our muscles and they touch our skin areas and they innervate all of these things. The point being, the reason we're talking about compression is because the tube runs between the bones of of the feet. And so if you pinch the bones together, you're pinching the tube and that tube can then swell up and then that's where you get that feeling of the Morton's neuroma. And I forgot where I, what question I asked before this, but I had to talk about my internet realizations so i have to add on something i i didn't realize i don't think until like even through pt school it wasn't until residency that really hit me that you know because i was i was very lucky that i had access when i was young to like medical textbooks and looking at this kind of stuff i didn't realize this stuff needed to move 
And so, you know, got exposed to that early on in my career. Um, somehow missed it in PT school that these tissues, right? You don't want to get them compressed because not only do they need that blood, they need that space, but they move. Like just like anytime you are moving any limb, even your neck, right? Your spinal cord is this mobile structure that has to be able to slide and glide and move. If you start pinching that, you're clamping down on the wire and yanking on a wire that really doesn't stretch. It's not like a muscle that, that it doesn't like being yanked on. It's this tissue that needs to glide and slide. Although there's certain topics, some evidence coming out that that may actually be a little bit different than how we originally visualized from Michael Shacklock. But, you know, it's, it's cool that this is a living tissue that also needs to move. We generally only think about muscles moving, but you have to realize the movement system in, involves so like basically every part of our body that we in various forms. So it's nerves got to move. You stop them from moving. Yeah. They get pissed. Yeah. So I remember what I was asking too. Uh, the idea of what other risk factors, not necessarily just in the foot and what we're wearing, but are there any other common things that we see with people who develop Morton's neuroma, whether if it's strength deficits or motion deficits or excess mobility somewhere, anything like that? A lot of times I'll see um, like weakness in the intrinsic foot muscles. So like the deep, deep muscles of the foot that people don't really know how to activate. And I've noticed a lot of people get at least symptom reduction or sometimes it will go away if you teach them how to actually activate those muscles, which it's tough to do. But once mm-hmm. you get it, you're doing toe, toe yoga. Yeah. Toe yoga or short foot, any of that stuff. The, can I do it with this? Nope. Okay. okay. <clears throat> but like training the brain, right? The, we were just talking yeah. about the nerves and how it's amazing how they communicate throughout the body training the brain how to actually communicate with those deep muscles that it tries to avoid using because it's difficult to to activate them. So intrinsic foot muscle weakness and control could be a big factor going into Morton's aroma. Yeah, it's a big one. I would I would definitely agree with that. I've always been really impressed. You get somebody that's got classic Morton aroma and you're like, well, I got to unload this stuff. And it's amazing how just getting some of those, that musculature to get turn on, Real And this is like across like body, like there's a lot of places where you can get some of those intrinsics to kick on. It unloads the tissue almost everywhere. It's the same thing with lumbar spine and, and cervical spine, which I do a lot right now. You just get those intrinsics to like decompress stuff. It takes pressure off there and like symptoms will sometimes just be gone. I'm always surprised when they're gone that quick. And you're like, oh, and the mm-hmm. patient thinks you knew, you knew that was going to happen. You're like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I feel like that, the only but, time you know that is if you have somebody who you know are like you have posterior canal BPPV. We're gonna yeah. do an epley and just yeah. you know canal three positioning. Then you know. Anyway, that's a tangent. I'm I'm in a weird place. I'm all over the place tonight. That's okay. Uh, maybe it's because the Badgers lost. Did you guys see that? The Badgers number three lost to number eleven Iowa State. They shot two for twenty two from the three point line. Completely anemic offense. Terrible. But it's okay. I'm repping them still. I'm not ashamed. Go Badgers. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't affect me emotionally, which is good. Just like running. Does running affect me too much emotionally? Probably more than men's Badger basketball. Anyway. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> that's probably a good thing. <laughs> Yikes. All right. I'm sorry, think... Badgers. My bad. <laughs> Megan, I think you brought up some really great exercises uh, so, you know, ideas like toe yoga, short foot exercises, toe splain, and there's ways to progress those exercises as well. It's not just doing them without your feet on the ground, but transitioning from 
your foot hanging out in the air, standing on two feet and starting to get some weight bearing and being able to use those muscles to control your arch um, and just having them activated and then single leg and then using it during squats and lunges and things like that, you can really progress these exercises to a pretty high level. And uh, it, it it's very difficult. This isn't one of those things you just sit down and you're like, I'm going to do short foot exercises. If you don't know what those are, you can look them up. You'd be able to find it uh, on the internet somewhere. Uh, but the brain control that Megan talked about is so hard to come by. You have, if you haven't used it and you don't know how it can take a lot of work and frustrating work where it feels like nothing's happening. Uh, so don't give up. It takes time. And if you, if you're having this, as we always say, go see a PT in your area. They have tricks of the trade to help you out, um, to get it moving. So before we move on from this question, any other specific shoe recommendations? We talked about, Matt, you talked about wide toe box um, any and potentially a rocker. Megan, anything else from, from you, whether a specific shoe or characteristics of a shoe? Um, I found the wider toe box has been great. Like um, of the, um, which ones were they? Well, it's a, one of the Topo shoes I've had a lot of success with because it provides that stability in like the midfoot, rear foot, but the toe box is, is wide open. It just gives you that room for toes to sweat mm-hmm. and avoids that compressive feeling. So Topo yeah. I've had a lot of success with, with my clients and then Hoka's also, cause they're, they're a wider shoe. Yeah. And Matt, any other ones from you? I would just like to say, I've also had so much experience with Topo given that ultra is really good too. If people can handle zero drop, then sometimes that can be a, an issue, right? Especially if there's a lot of like posterior chain stiffness or like the calf, um, or the tail, the ankle joint, but topo is a really nice balance because it's usually got a little bit of drop, but still got that wider toe box. And this is where I hope Russ is listening to this on the way home. Uh, as we just talked at the LA marathon the other day, but I told you that we all usually suggest topos a lot. So told you. Yeah. <laughs> Russ is a, is he works for Topo. Yeah. You saw him at the expo or whatever. Yeah. That's pretty had cool. a great conversation, but yeah, I definitely agree on topo. Um, you have a little, some people will go automatically to wide shoes, but don't, we had a conversation about this a little bit and had some really cool feedback just because it's labeled a wide doesn't necessarily mean it is a wider toe box. Sometimes they just add a little bit more to the upper. Um, I believe it's new balance is the only one that actually adds width to the sole to the last, to the last. I'm sorry. Um, there might be some other variations I'm, I'm not aware of, but you just got to make sure you're focusing on that toe box, especially depending on where your symptoms are. Yeah. Completely. would also encourage slightly off topic. There are some lacing techniques you can also do that will take a little pressure off that. And you can find those if you look up alternative lacing techniques on the internet, they're everywhere now. Um, but is the general also- idea that you're skipping some holes like at the, yeah. at the point further down at towards the, the toe box? Yeah, that's the general idea, especially for widening stuff up. You just, Instead of crossing, you skip the lace, and you can do it for however many you want as long as it's not slipping. And that's a really quick thing you can do. So I, I with a lot of the patient population I work with, they, they may not have the option of purchasing an additional shoe. So there are some, like, things you can also do there to try to open that up. And I also had a guy who just cut holes in the side of his shoe, and he's like, this feels so much better. I'm like, you wrong with that? He goes, yeah. I'm like, Okay. I think you have sandals now. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. <laughs> I think Megan, you talked about Hoka too. And in terms of rockers, I think that Hoka has a pretty forgiving rocker where something like the 
uh, glide ride from ASICs or even the Axon, which we just, the Axon 2 that we just tested, those have very poignant and specific rockers that are very rigid, whereas Hoka has this kind of more early stage meta rocker. So it's more gradual and it flexes enough where it can kind of be morphed to your body. So that's probably a place where that comes into play too, which is really nice. All right, we're going to move on from Morton's Neuroma, and we're, we got a couple questions surrounding running shoes and knees. So we're going to go back and forth. I might throw in questions as we go. There's two different people. One is Menno, and the other one is Jerome Peter. So this first question was from Menno. He says, question about running shoes that prevent knee injuries. Are there specs that are important to watch? For example, low drop, rocker, cushioning. I'm thinking about the Hoka Arahi or Saucony Shift 2 as a daily trainer. Would either of those help prevent a knee injury? So without going too deep into the... Matt's Matt's face is all about this whole preventing knee injury uh, situation, I'm I'm assuming. Uh, We've talked about this a ton, and Matt interviewed... uh, Dr. Malisu, so last week, and they talked about the ability to know how do we how do we prevent injury, and it's really hard to tie a specific shoe to injury reduction. So that's just a hard thing to do in general. But we can talk about how do these different specs affect the knee mechanics potentially. So why don't we dive into that question? This this is obviously going to vary because there's so many factors that go into again. So instead of saying what's going to prevent injuries, because shoes are tools, it's really hard to know for sure that every shoe is going to prevent injury for a certain person, just because there's so many factors that go into knee injuries, right? In terms of your tissue health, your training history, your strength, and all there's a lot of stuff that go into there. So can I can we necessarily comment on? What's like, this is a common question that people like absolutes, like what's the best shoe for this? It's like, well, let me do an hour long, like objective and ex- uh, objective examination and maybe, and then let's test some shoes, maybe find out. But I think a better question, what might be, what would the best shoe for me be if I'm trying to maybe decrease some load through my knee? Right. So you might be able or to, how do, some, how does, how yeah. does, how do these shoe factors influence knee right. loading that, yeah. so. Yeah, that Nathan, that's that's perfect. So I think a couple way I'll dive into a couple and then I'll I'll throw this back at, at you two. But um, a couple things that we know tend to take stress away from the knee and but shift it down to the ankle is things like lower drop shoes, for example. So lower drop shoes tend to put more work into the ankle joint, into the calf muscles, and a lot of the, that kind of stuff. Because again. A higher drop tends to put more work into the knee and the hip. So if you might want to think about going lower drop, just make sure you have enough calf length because if you don't, that can actually backfire on you. It's going to shift somewhere. Yeah. So it's, you got to make sure things, you have the optimal mechanics and strength necessary to do that to going into a lower drop shoe is probably one of the biggest things I might suggest. Yeah, Megan, do you have any other ones that you think about when it comes to knee loading outside of drop or anything to add with drop? The drop is a big one. I think also the amount of cushioning can take some of the um, force off of the joints and then um, the type of rocker too. I mean, I think that's going to depend on the person's natural stride, like where they're striking or the heel striker, midfoot, forefoot. But having like um, the heel to toe rocker can also take a lot of pressure off the joints too, like just kind of having something else to help propel you forward. Yeah. Those were those were the three main things that I was thinking for that. 
Yeah. For me, when I think about cushioning, uh, th- that's one of those, depending on what sort of knee issue you're having or that you're predisposed to, cushioning can work for or against you. And so there's some people who are proponents of stiff knee running. And the reason that they're proponents of stiff knee running is because you can avoid the kneecap moving into the groove of the femur. So for people who have patellofemoral pain or some kind of chondral defect somewhere within the knee joint, maybe under the patella, if you can run with a stiffer knee, you can avoid those areas that are having the issue. In the, in the realm of cushioning, we think about reflexive stiffening. And so if you have a very cushioned shoe, your body tends to respond with a stiffening of your joints. And not everybody, and it's not perfect. That's not, that's why evaluation and assessment of individuals is important. But in general, what we've seen is very highly cushioned shoes lead to reflexive stiffening of the joints. So if you're somebody who needs to avoid a certain range of motion, that cushioning can be advantageous for you as an automatic stiffening agent for you. Uh, Whereas on the other side of of the equation, if you're having impact-related injuries and the lack of shock absorption through the knee is your problem, maybe you need something with a little bit less stack that allows you to absorb some more shock through your knee joint. I also think about when you talked about rockers, Megan, I was thinking about if you can't control a rocker, it can shoot your shin forward. So if it's... I. This is how I felt in the glide ride. I talk about the glide ride all the time because I do think it's just a, it's an extreme rocker. So it's a great example. But I remembered, I felt like when I would try to transition to my toe, my heel would come up so quickly and my shin would shoot forward. So the angle of my shin would shoot forward. What happens when, when your shin shoots forward is your knee also bends because your shin is part of your knee. And so I felt like I just wasn't able to control that. And I would just shoot into knee flexion uh, and I would feel pressure for me at the front of my knees with that one. Whereas other rockers, if it brings you through well, you don't have that. And I I just wasn't prepared for the glide ride when I was testing it. That was just a personal issue. But I think rockers can work for or against you. And that's why we can't necessarily say, is the Arahi or the shift to the right answer for you? Uh, We don't know. We don't know for you, Um, but it could be. They're both great shoes, right? So if yep. you're someone that just needs, you know, a, a generally rocker shoe and you want a little bit more cushioning, the the shift is a is a great option. I think Nathan and I have both talked about that's like a go-to shoe. If people need something stable and a rocker shoe, but it's not overly stable, it can be a really, really good option for a lot of people. Um, the Rahi is very much a stability shoe and it's unique in that it has stability along the entire medial side of the foot and that can work really well for certain people. It can also not work as well if you have sensitivity to that in different areas. Cause a lot of people are not used to f- a four foot uh, stability measure. Cause that the J frame or the wedge goes all the way forward. So, and sometimes having an overly stable shoe can actually cause more stress in people that are either a little bit too stiff or just don't need that. So it's going to really depend on your individual needs as a person, which is why it's so hard to be like, this shoe prevents injuries. Like, it's a common question. We understand where it's coming from. It's just there. Those, unfortunately, with the complexity of both footwear and the human body and matching them, there's no really good answer. And so, of course, the classic PT answer is it depends. <laughs> yeah, we'd almost have to see actually see you running on a treadmill, see you running right. outside to actually make a, a definitive answer. And even then, I mean, it could it could be something totally different too. Right. Then we have to test it. So it's really, it, it feels like a bummer of an answer where we're saying 
Yes, drop can't affect it. Yes, rockers can't affect it. Yes, cushioning can't affect it. Not one of those combinations is necessarily the right one to decrease injury, or at least we don't know yet um, for certain populations of people. So uh, we can't fully answer the question, but those are all factors to consider. And if in Menno, if you know yourself and if you've been able to have evaluations and you can hopefully some of that information can help inform some of the stuff that you're thinking about. Uh, the next person who is also talking about running and oh, that's what I wanted to say before we move on from here. The other factor, what do you guys think about stability built into shoes, whether through posting or through guide rails or through whatever? We, I don't want to go to, we're having a guest on soon that I'm not going to say who it is, but we're really excited about them to come on from a, from a running shoe company. And they're going to talk about some of the research that he's done uh, in looking at how stability kind of works with knee mechanics. But when you think about stability, is there anything off the top of your heads, guys, that you think about? Is that necessarily a good or a bad thing? Why or why not? I think it depends if you need it. If you're somebody that need it and has had a history of those, <laughs> sorry. No, it's the right answer. <laughs> I'm going into teaching mode. Go, keep going. They're making fun of me. Um, yeah, yep, we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think if you need it, it would be something to consider. If you've had a history of posterior tape issues or calf issues or things that, um, then it would be helpful. If not, I think having a stable neutral shoe like the shift is a really, really, really good option for a lot of people. Cool. So here we go. Jerome Peters question. He says, I have Janu Verum. So, and he says, hopefully that's the right term. So if it is the right turn term, that means Verum is if you were standing and both of your knees kind of bow out. Uh, so that would be Janu Verum where like your femur is angled outwards and then your shins are inwards. So he, he says, I have, Gino Verum, hope that's the right turn term, and I'm running in the Nike React Infinity Run Flyknit One. That's a mouthful. Nike React Infinity Run Flyknit One. Anyway, he says, do mild or do mild stability shoes have a bad impact on my condition? I kind of enjoy the arch support in the Nikes. I do land extremely laterally and fall a bit in medially around my ankle. My forefoot stability is fine. And two, what impact do higher drops have on knee stability? So we kind of touched on the, the higher drop stuff. Uh, but what do you guys think about this? Mild stability, genovarum, things like that. I mean, again, I'd want to see you running before making this decision. But putting you in a high stability shoe, I'd be hesitant to do that because that's something that's going to also force you more out, which is going to put your knees more into that lateral position. So if anything, I'd, I'd push if, I mean, depending on like the intrinsic strength of your, of your feet, your eccentric control when you're landing, um, how much pronation you're getting. I would say maybe like just a mild stability, like mild stability show if I had to choose one. Matt, what do you got? So I would say I wouldn't think so much about stability as I would guidance. So we really, we've really we been talking a lot about guidance in footwear, which is really nice because typically when we talk about stability shoes, at least traditionally, it's been stuff that's like basically there's a lot of material on the medial side or the inner side of the shoe that's trying to, they always say it's stopping, but it's really slowing down, if anything, or just entertaining your foot on the way through. Um, it's again, more on that medial side, but the nice thing about shoes that have more guidance is things that have sidewalls and other mechanisms that we talked about really tries to keep your foot and some of your mechanics lined up really nicely. And I would make a reference, but that person's about ready to come on really soon. So I guess I'll wait 
for yeah. that when it talk, comes to guide rails. Uh, and I promise yeah. I won't get blue about it. It's actually really exciting. Okay, is that that's too much? <laughs> so, that was amazing. No one's going to get this until they yes. go listen to the next one and then come back and go, wow, that was a dumb joke. That was his dumb joke for the day. No, um, those are good. Those are good little, yeah. what are those called? Uh, breadcrumbs. Yeah. Like, you're just putting some breadcrumbs. I think people know at this point. Teasers. Okay. So, teasers. Yeah, teasers. Yeah. teasers. So having looking for a shoe that has more guidance is going to be really helpful, as well as something that really keeps you moving forward. Because as you get into those positions, right, if you if it takes you extra time, your body is going to go through its the path of least resistance, which you want that to be forward. If there's any resistance coming that you're going to go outward, and what you don't want to have is where you start landing and getting what's called a varus thrust, where you're here and the knee just pitches out. Because that can that can put some additional stress and have some markers about what what your prognosis might be. But I actually, I have to be fully honest that I am very biased against the shoe that you mentioned just because I hated it. Um, but it actually has some merit regarding the, the, the clip around the end does work as a mild guidance. It's not, I don't consider that a support shoe. I would consider that a guided shoe at most. And the fact that it's very rockered is also going to, should facilitate you forward if it's hitting you in the right way. So I think less about stability, more about looking for guidance shoes that are nicely rockered and keep you going forward and have stuff on both sides of the shoe rather than it being biased one way. Yeah. And I think Matt and Megan, like one of the things we can say too, I know you were, I think you were trying to avoid this, Matt, but you know, the reason we're talking about shoes in the knee, you're avoiding it because of the guest we're having, I think. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, you know, I think we're talking about that because they're related you know, we in physical therapy, there's been debates among people about top-down approach and bottom-up approach. And basically what that means is, do you stabilize the foot by having a stable hip, or do you stabilize the hip by having a stable foot? And the answer is kind of yes, right? Like, the both of them are going to work together, and there's both influence each other. And so if you took a foot on the ground, and you kind of roll your, your foot to the outside, and when you're standing, what you're going to notice is your arch comes up, your shins rotate out, your femurs rotate out. You kind of have this, it's all one chain together. Whereas if you try to like flatten your arches when you're standing, you're going to notice your shins roll in, your femurs roll in. They all happen at the same time. And so the idea of stability in cases like this is if you, if you put so much support under something that's going to actually rotate your, your shin out, which could rotate your femur out, that could exacerbate genuverum. That is a whole conversation of, in and of itself. Is is having some genuverum necessarily a bad thing? Maybe not. You know, it can increase medial joint loading to the knee, which if you're already having some arthritic changes there and you're putting high loads from running in there, then yes, something to consider. Or if you have a meniscectomy or history of ACL reconstruction and things that predispose you to arthritis down the line, then it's something to really consider. But if you're healthy and it's of some mild genuverum and if you haven't necessarily had that assessed that it's actually there and you've just kind of thought it, or if somebody has kind of just told you that, but you don't actually know from video maybe isn't as, as much of a consideration, but that's, that's something I think about too, is just that whole chain top down, bottom up. It, it all, it all happens and, and plays a role. Okay. We have our last question that we're transitioning to. And I think this is maybe the most interesting one that, and I don't know a lot about it. So I'm excited to hear what you guys think. So this is from Taylor Bell, and he said, Hey, y'all, my wife and I are newer to running, but both science-minded. We've loved the podcast and Instagram posts to learn more. 
we're having a discussion about super and plated shoes, and they're thinking about how they all design them for men. Uh, we actually talked about that. If you go back to our episode of, with um, Laura and Todd from Puma, they talked about kind of their push for designing shoes specific for women. Um, I know ASICS does some work in that realm too, but it's usually not with the kind of these super shoes and their plated shoes. It's all tested on men. So anyway, it says they're all designed for men. Biomechanically, would one's weight affect the ability to take advantage of some of the super shoes? They're saying if on average women, especially the elites, are very light, do they benefit from the super shoes or not? So what do you guys think about that? The influence of weight and gender and ability to, I don't know, activate these super shoes. What do you guys think about that? Megan, do you have any thoughts? That's that's an interesting question. I mean, if you think if my first instinct is to go back to the physics of it, right? Like potential energy to kinetic energy, like, I don't know, you're going to be able to store more energy and push yourself forward when you have, when you have like more weight, but that's a tough one, but like Mm -hmm. to an extent, I mean, it's going to depend where you're landing on the, um, on the carbon plate as well. Like, is it in an optimal spot to produce that force and propel you forward? Are you, leaning far enough forward or like is your center of gravity in front of me do you you have the motor control to actually use this shoe which is something that's often missed people talk about the physics right but we we also also forget these shoes are tools and you got to learn how to use this and not everybody can figure that out like you might have the biomechanics to set up for it but if you can't figure out how to use the tool may not be you know optimal or just that's why there's so many variety which is nice but that doesn't answer the question. Yeah, it's it's a hard question. I don't think we have an answer. I think that's ultimately we don't we don't know. I think Megan, one of the things you talked about was if you have less body weight, can you can you create can you store potential energy into kinetic energy from the foam? And that's that's where like the people who are Kipchoge probably has the benefit of when they made the four percent, they made it for those couple guys, right? Like they had them in the lab to to try to test the shoe for that first sub two, you know, so they were able to see, Hey, can we create a density? And there's so much more than just density. Uh, Malzo talked about it last week too, but more than just density, but how, how much do we know about what do you need to be able to compress the foam in the right way to take advantage of its properties in combination with that plate and in combination with the geometry? Like when you put all those things together, we already don't know how they work to create the improved economic like running economy benefit. And then when you take variables into individuals, if we're talking in this question, taking advantage, quote unquote, if we're saying strictly from a running economy standpoint, I think it's a really hard question. I think from a take advantage standpoint, from an injury prevention standpoint, Malzo's study on that actually might have something to contribute in terms of higher cushion shoes uh, for lighter runners. But Matt, what are you what are you thinking about as I just spoke? This is this is not a, an answer. Um, I remember Dustin Jubert, who we had on here, who's a PhD down from Texas. I was he was mm-hmm. doing a study on this, right? Did that ever? He's working on it. He's working on it right now. Okay, so yes. we, we might actually have some answers. He's uh, recruiting female runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a, sh- a shout out to anybody in that area. Please check out Dustin Jubert if you want to be part of that. I'm sure he could use some more subjects because by the way collecting subjects for research is really hard 
Yeah. So go join his study. Fly in. He's at Stephen F. Austin. So if you want to go to, if you want to go to Texas, it could be a reason. You probably have to have the right size feet too. I don't know how that's all working for him. Contact him. He yeah, lab rat uh, rundown. Reach yeah, out to him on Instagram. Follow him on Instagram too. He's got some good stuff. I think he's trying to do some cool things. Another interesting to thing answer- would be like to compare like just the regular carbon plate versus like how the Adidas Takumi Sen has like the three rods and like how how does that differ and and how can you take like what kind of runners would benefit more from the actual plate versus the three rods you know it could be mm-hmm. something cool to look into totally one of the challenges on that is there are companies it's it's not clean data because a lot of times with how they're doing it they're not controlling a lot of things but there are companies that have that data i've talked to people going yeah we tested these different plate designs all this kind of stuff and it's like these data mines are just sitting there, but they can't use it because they won't share it because it's proprietary. So right. to answer the question, that actually might be there. We just don't know because we don't know how the companies are testing this stuff. So it's gonna. It, that's why, you know, for us to get answers, you got to have people like Dustin or others. It takes us time to catch up. So, yeah, yeah. the answer is we're not really sure. It's a great question and it needs right. to be answered, but we don't know. Right. Sorry, Taylor. Maybe you two do. Sorry to yeah, question. no, I don't either. Yeah. <laughs> We're awesome. still learning how these things work. Yeah. 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 I, and actually another guest we're having on soon is going to be Jeff Burns. And I think he could be a really great resource yeah. for, for this question as well. And yeah, he's written a lot uh, of good if, stuff on it too. Yeah. He's another researcher who's just doing, who's done some really good stuff. He put out a great study on uh, super shoes uh, recently that we've we referenced quite a bit around here. So, all right. those That's our mailbag questions for the day. Do you guys have anything else you want to add? Matt's got something. Always got, uh, Matt's always got something else. I would say the study was so good, he really burned it up. It was great. <laughs> I, I don't think that makes sense. You can leave. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> I was trying. I was like, can I get a, a second one of these today? No. Okay. <laughs> Yes, we're going to wrap things up. It is time. After a joke like that, it's time to wrap it up. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the round table. We hope to have you back a, a bunch and you can be a regular voice in this this whole thing. So this was episode 80 of the round table. Uh, thankful for you all joining us. Again, if you have questions for us, reach out to us at docsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com. If we don't respond to your email, we did read it. And we will do what we can to get to it at some point in the future. People also reach out to us on Instagram. It is harder for us to track those because we get so many of those that it's hard to keep them in order for when we want to bring up, you know, these mailbag episodes. So the the Gmail, uh, Docs of Running podcast at gmail.com is the best way to ask questions that you want addressed on the podcast. And we will be hitting it in the future. As always, you can follow us on DocsRunning.com and uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. If you like what, what we've been producing here with the podcast and you feel like you could leave a review, it would be super helpful for us in terms of reaching more people and helping this podcast grow. So we would appreciate that too. Hope you guys have a great night. Bye.